especially at Wat Nong Pakong, to see Ajahn Chah's coffin, to remember the kind of uh, training and teaching he gave me. This has been a very moving time for me. had lots of tears, uh, done some grieving. So I'm very, very grateful to people like Ajahn Pasana, Ajahn Jayasaro, Tanajan Liam, uh, all the lay people, everyone who's been involved in, in creating this amazing, amazing opportunity. So also I'm grateful for the Sangha here. Uh, whenever I come, the uh, practice of Acharya Vata, the, the care that the Sangha takes care of, the senior bhikkhus who come from abroad. This is very touching, very inviting. I always feel very at home here. And the sense of uh, gratitude, sense of devotion. These are, these are, of course, important qualities in the practice of Dhamma. Because much of our practice, we, we have to bear with difficult things. We have to bear with things of the heart which we might not have looked at. We have to bear with physical discomfort and so on and so forth. And devotion, gratitude, these are the kinds of mind states that allow us or give us the strength to, to bear with, to look at, to understand, to investigate. We're seeing the, all the lay people at Wat Nong Bapong, uh, sleeping under the groats, sitting, meditating, very, very silent, very quiet, very contemplative, very reflective. Uh, what gives them that energy? What gives them the the ability to do that? Tremendous faith in Lord Cha, tremendous faith in, in Buddha Dhamma. So, for those of you who never um, met Ajahn Chah, except through perhaps books or tapes, I'm not sure how these days affect you. How these ceremonies, perhaps... I don't know, perhaps you feel it's just a bunch of ceremonies and you want to get on with your practice. I don't know. But for me, it's uh, uh, tremendously uplifting. But one can contemplate, let's say, to, to look at the hearts of these people in, in Northeast Thailand, all of Thailand, all the world, how um, we've been affected by this being, by this being who's taken this teaching and developed it in a profound way and then offered it back. My own, when I met uh, Ajahn, when I met Mungpo Chah, I pretty much determined that where, wherever he asked me to go, that's where I would go. Wherever he said I should practice, that's where I would practice. And that was a determination of the heart. Superficially, there were a lot of things I, that he asked me to do I didn't want to do. Places that he asked me to go I didn't want to go. There's something deeper, and I can only reflect that on that now, having been in this business for a few years. I can see that that deeper determination has been tremendously helpful because the the path for me has been one of self-surrender, of trying to uh, give up my own personal views and preferences and to give to the situation, serve the situation, and that's not easy. Because personal preferences, personal desires, personal views and opinions are powerful things conditioned into the mind. But I always, I always contemplated 
how can I, and having come to the robe at about the age of 25 or so, um, I wasn't enlightened at 25. So I always reflected that if I just followed my own views and opinions, if I just uh, attached to the ideas I had about the way things should be or the kinds of practices I should be doing, how could I ever be free? Because I had been doing that for 25 years and I wasn't free. So I realized the limitations of my own desires, my own views, my own preferences. So then coming to Watmapong, um, the, the training which we received, the training is on one hand the training in Vinaya, the, the training in deportment, the training in etiquette, the training in the way we eat, in the way we use our balls, in the way we put our robes on in the monastery, outside the monastery, and the way we relate to senior monks, the, rela- the way we relate to laymen and to laywomen. So this whole structure of rules in the beginning was, was uh, rather confusing, but I found it tremendously helpful in a way of grounding myself. And this, I think, is one aspect, obviously, of the Naya, that we have a structure to ground ourselves in the moment, the way, the way we are doing things, to actually be present, to be mindful of the body, of the way the body moves, of the requisites. So this was helpful, and continues to be helpful, as a way of establishing wakefulness in this moment. And so Lompocha always encouraged us to to study the Vinaya, to really know it thoroughly. And he would be quite willing to discuss details of the the size of an alms bowl for half an hour or an hour, which drove me crazy. Basically, I just wanted a structure to function from. But he was quite willing to go into the details, and, and he was very fastidious about but fastidious, but he's very particular about the way we did things. And one of the ways he taught us Vinaya was beauty. You know, like, like in Thailand, you, you don't kick things around with your foot, do you? You don't kick a pillar around with your foot. Um, so I would maybe go to his kuti and help clean his kuti and push the spittoon with my foot, and Lompa would say, my sue, it's not beautiful. So... His use of Vinaya was, was like introducing a sense of beauty in the way we use our bodies. Uh, of course, in Thailand, I think most Westerners find that, at least I found, the deportment of the Thais very beautiful. The way they moved, uh, the way they moved between each other, the way they did things. And, uh, say, my own bodily movements I found were rather clumsy. So, like, introducing beauty into that, introducing mindfulness into those very, very ordinary things. So Lone Paul would spend a long time teaching just, just the, the way we should wash our bowls and take care of our robes. And these are, these are important matters not to be attached to, but rather to be developed as ways of mindfulness. Now, when you go to other monasteries and other systems, there are other ways of doing it. So I've just, been, I've just had a chance to be in Sri Lanka and Burma. They say in Burma they have... I was at Ujjanika's monastery... And they have a dining hall with about uh, maybe 25, no, 20 round tables. There are four people to a round table. And the practitioners sit down at the tables. Well, before the bhikkhus sit down, one bhikkhu sits at a table. Two lay people lift the whole table, and it's offered to the bhikkhu. And they put it down. Now, in Thailand, it's not kosher. You know, 
and then, you know, you might say, oh, that's not really Vinaya. Uh, that's not you're supposed to offer these things. But I think that the point of our life as samanas is not to take a fixed position about these things, but in whatever monastery we're, fun- we're, we're practicing, to use that Vinaya, to use that structure, to, to figure out how that monastery works and try to abide in harmony with that. So, so when we attach to Vinaya, of course, we, we get very frightened when it's done a different way, or we get upset when it's done a different way. One, one can see that when, like, um, bhikkhus who have a cultural perception of Vinaya, of the way monasteries should run, they go to other monasteries and they don't feel at ease because they're so attached to doing things a certain way. So the point of the Vinaya, one of the points of the Vinaya, is to awaken the mind, to be mindful, not just to, to condition us to do things in a certain way, not just to force us to be a certain way, but to actually awaken to awaken the mind to the present moment. So we have the, these guidelines, which are not guidelines that we set up. They're not personal preferences, they're not ego preferences, but they're guidelines that come down from the Buddha, from Ajahn Chah, from Ajahn Pasana, from Ajahn Jayasaro, depending on the monastery you're in. Now, our particular monastic system is very, very much conditioned by the senior monk, isn't it? The mood, the temperament of the senior monk, it, it has a tremendous effect on the monastery. But that's just the way it is. So when we when we when we come to a monastery, uh, when we go to a particular situation, it's our duty to find out well how do they do it here? What's the routine? Um, what's the, what's the kind of vinaya they practice? And if it's if it's really uh, gross vinaya, then get out. You know, if everyone's doing parajikas and so on, then you obviously don't go there. But the sense of like coming to a community and seeing what what can I what can I do to help? What can I do to make this a harmonious place? I think this is the spirit of Sangha for me. And this is a standard of the heart. We have standards of body, don't we? We have standards of deportment and standards for robes and so on. But we also have standards of the heart. Standards like or, or standards of reflection for the heart. So so say like in, in, in New Zealand I always try to encourage people we have a routine that we we, we come to the meetings and so on. And the standard of the heart is one that says, I come, I come to the meetings, I support this whole structure so that everyone else can practice. I don't just come to the meeting because I'm afraid the Ajahn will spank me or the other bhikkhus or samaneras will, will look down on me. And that's a kind of maturity, isn't it? Where all of us are mature beings. We, we come to this because we have a love of Buddha Dhamma. Um, and, and, and to bring that maturity into the situation is an issue of the heart. Why do I do this? Why, why do I live by these rules? Out of fear? Or why do I come to the meetings out of uh, fear of the Ajahn or whatever? That will never work. But if the, if the attitude of the heart is one of, well, how can I make this place work? Rather than expecting someone else to do it. Then there's a, then there's a lot of joy in it. There's a lot of sense of being a part of the Sangha of being a part of a community. So we can bring these kinds of heart attitudes, these heart um, reflections to our, our life here. The Brahma-viharas, compassion, uh, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. These are, these are standards of the heart that the Buddha recommended, that our general attitude to each other is one of, that we are concerned for each other's welfare. In speech, in action, uh, in thought, 
uh, in thought, that we are concerned for the welfare of each other. Karuna, that we are concerned for those who are sick or ill or not doing well in the practice. Joy, mudita, we, we, we feel joy at the attainments of others or the, the good practice of others. And upeka, we learn how to live with a heart of coolness, a calmness within the ups and downs of any life. Now those are, those are good standards to bring into the mind. And then to begin to reflect, well how does my heart, how is my heart responding to this situation? What's happening with my heart? Uh, is, is, what are my attitudes to the monastery? What are my attitudes to my fellow summoners? What are my attitudes to the lay people? What is my attitude to the uh, abbot? Huh? And if they're not in line with the um, Brahma Viharas, if they're, if they're not in line with that sense of maturity that Sangha is about, then I can say, well, where's that coming from? Where is that attitude of, of um, aversion or judgment or um, disparagement? Where is that coming from? What's the source of that? What's the root of that? So, so Buddha Dhamma, whether it be Vinaya, whether it be um, the issues of the heart, or whether it be the, the, def- the doctrinal definitions, they are all to awaken us. They're to awaken us to understanding the way things are. And I think these, these, um, these standards of the heart, the four Brahma Viharas, are tremendously helpful for us to awaken to the heart, because mu- much of the practice has to be one of understanding the heart, doesn't it? And we have to we have to learn to go inwards and and feel the aversions we have and feel the doubts uh, and feel the loves and hates, but no longer attached to that which is unskillful. So if we take a stand, like if you, if if we contemplate Brahma Viharas, if we contemplate um, Metta, and we really we really bring that to mind, we contemplate that. What does Metta mean? It means not dwelling in aversion to oneself or others not, uh, or, or being concerned for the welfare of others. If we make that a powerful theme by reflecting upon it, by chanting it, by thinking it, then during the day, when our heart begins to sink into separation, into selfishness by uh, being very demanding or critical of ourselves or others, then there's more opportunity for us to awaken to that. If we never reflect on these themes, we very easily fall into selfishness into aversion. And once we've fallen into those states, it's much more difficult to let them go, to allow them to cease. So when, when the more we bring up the Buddhist teaching in various ways, that becomes like an echo in our minds. That becomes like a, uh, a standard, a, um, something to reflect upon. So we have Vinaya. That helps us to reflect upon the movement of the body, our relationship to each other. We have the um, we have the, the heart practice. Yeah? And then we also have the, the doctrinal themes, don't we? We have anicca dukkanatta. Now these, these themes that we see in Buddha Dhamma, anicca dukkanatta, the Four Noble Truths, uh, Paticca Samuppada, these kinds of themes are, are meant to, to awaken our intellect, to awaken our, our, our ability to pay attention, to look at life, um, in a way which is in alignment with Buddha Dhamma. And this is what we need to do. We need to have a sense of attention. We need to atten- pay attention to the way things are. But we need to, to pay attention to certain issues. We need to observe. We need to awaken to certain issues. Uh, and these themes of Buddha Dhamma are meant to do that. They're not meant to be just doctrinal positions that we take. 
but they're meant to awaken the mind. So, the, the, the major, one of the major issues is, of course, the kayaditi, self-view, personality view. So, if we say, we, we read these texts, uh, and we see that, uh, the way to get the practice rolling, the way to really get it rolling is to no longer take things personally, to no longer identify with the movements of mind and body as personal properties. So we contemplate Sakaya Ditti, what does that mean? What, what is Ditti? What is the viewpoint? Or, uh, what, what is the sense of personality and what is attachment to that? We contemplate that. So we need, we need to really bring Buddha Dhamma, we need to bring these themes into our minds. So we read that or we, we think about it or we hear it in a talk. And then we begin to watch during the day, how does that sense of personal identity, how does that come into consciousness? What is that? When I feel, when I feel doubtful, and I begin to think, oh, am I doing the practice right? Do I want to stay here? Uh, should I go to another monastery? Should I practice in the West? Uh, beginning to just see that as a sense of I, as a sense of self, as a sense of me and mine. Feeling aversion towards someone. Why does that person do it that way? Why can't they be different? Beginning to see that sense of personality. Being, beginning to see that sense of I. And when we begin, we begin to see that, of course, it doesn't have the power to delude. We're going to see it as an object, rather than being the subject which is always deluded. Now, if we have, if we don't bring Dharma themes into our hearts, then we tend to just be caught by things. We just tend to be um, thinking, well, perhaps we're thinking or analyzing, but we're not really contemplating according to Buddha Dhamma. So, so I, what I've always tried to do is I try to read something, uh, whether it be from Ajahn Chah or listen to a tape or read some sutta, and then really try to make that something that I, that I carry through for the whole day, for a week, two weeks, three weeks. Uh, rather than just leave it as a kind of a Theravada position. So, so when, when we do that, when we use intellect in the way of contemplation, when we use thought, when we use ideas in the way of contemplation, we, we begin to see things the way the Buddha sees them. To take, take a theme like, like Anicca Dukkha Natta, what, what is anatta? What does that mean? What is that word not self? What does that mean? What does that word actually mean? Dukkha. Yeah. Anicca. To actually take that word and understand it thoroughly. There, there's sort of a lot of talk now about which practice is better. Is the practice in the West better? Is the practice in Bungwai better? Is the practice at Wat Khun better? Is the practice in uh, here and there better? There's always these these talks, which is better. Um, I can I can only talk from from a practice of responsibility. This is really where, what I've been sort of involved in since 1977, and because I suppose because I had a a certain amount of a, a lot of faith in Ajahn Chah, and a lot of inspiration from his being, um, when he made suggestions to me of doing things or going places, although I would often resist them, I couldn't refuse them because I didn't trust my own perceptions as much as I trusted his ideas. So when I went to uh, when I went to England, I didn't really want to go to England, but what I found is that being in England and then being in New Zealand, I've had to take a lot of responsibilities, I've had a lot of complexity, but I found responsibility is a tremendously 
helpful way of practice. Now, sometimes we get the view as as some of us that if we can get rid of everything, you know, just kind of there's no work and there's no there's no responsibility, then I can do more practice. Well, certainly one can do some of the practice, but the idea that responsibility or work or complexity is bad, is against the, the, the Buddha's way, I, I would disagree with that. Um, and I think Ajahn Chah would too, because he asked me to be in England, he asked Ajahn Sumedha to be in England. So I, I take my my cues from that. And I found actually responsibility to be tremendously, tremendously helpful because it's forced me into positions and situations which I personally would never have chosen. Situations of teaching, situations of organizing, situations of being with types of people I, I would never have related with. And those, the foreignness of those situations, the, 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 um, the difficulty of the situations has brought up all kinds of fears and um, sense of arrogance and uh, a whole array of unskillful mind states. And because they have been brought to mind, I've been able to really look at them. I've been really, I've been able to uh, observe them and contemplate them. And, and what I found is, is in the practice of responsibility, um, a tremendous, a, a lot of psychiatry arises, a lot of personality view arises. In teaching, I found a lot of sense of being uh, a good teacher, being a rotten teacher, a lot of that coming up as being. Um, say senior monk I found a lot of kinds of energies of wanting to dominate and not not wanting people to criticize or vice versa wanting to please everyone wanting to make everyone happy wanting everyone to stay yeah, you know, and, and the idea of people disrobing was an absolute terror to me because I would take it personally now all of that has been very very fruitful because that has allowed me to to see Sakaya Ditti to see you know the, the first fetter of the ten fetters, we say, is the Kayaditi. I mean, really see that come up. Like, give a talk. And I remember just giving talks. I would, I would, uh, the first time that I gave talks, I would always hope that someone would praise me. So there'd be, there'd be this feeling in the back of my mind, please, Venerable Sujito, please tell me it was a good one. <laughs> so, uh, and then, then I wouldn't say anything, and then he'd, maybe he would, maybe I'd give him a cup of tea, and he'd say, that was a good talk. <laughs> But then, then of course, I'd give another talk and the same feeling would come up. Please love me. Please like me. Please approve of me. Please don't run away from me. <laughs> and then I could watch that and watch that and, and, and view that. And as I began to let go, witness to that, I began to reflect on that as a movement of mine, not any kind of fixed position, it began to die, it began to cease. And from that, there's a realization of a freedom. Uh, a freedom in that particular kind of situation. Now, if I hadn't had that responsibility, um, I wouldn't have looked at that. Because who wants to look at pain? Who wants to look at fear? Who wants to look at these things? And so, um, just being, say, like senior monk at, at, at in Stokes Valley in, in in New Zealand, just the um, like learning how to try to create uh, a sangha. And what is a sangha about? So, like, when I first, say, when I was first senior monk in, in Hampstead, in London, very early on, I would, I would be a bit of a dict, like, Hitler more, <laughs> sort of dictatorial kind of, 
statements about what the practice is and what has to happen and so on. But that's suffering, that's ego, that's personality. So I'd watch that. I'd look at that, I'd witness that. And then just being in New Zealand, seeing, um, um, learning how to relate to a small group of practitioners, trying to be sensitive to their needs and, and, uh, and sometimes there's failure and sometimes there's success. But that whole process of responsibility and complexity, um, I found very, very fruitful. I find tremendously fruitful, tremendously. And I, and, uh, I just started this 10-day retreat, I did a 10-day retreat in Toronto, and, the, and we did a sitting to start the retreat, and this tremendous rush of joy came up and said, how wonderful that I can share Dhamma with people. And my first retreat, I had rushes the other way. <laughs> I had uh, stomach problems. Now, what, what is that process? Of, it's, a pro, and it's a very kind of painful process, this transformation. Uh, this, this, this transformation from uh, egotistical, self-centered, separative kind of consciousness to something which is, 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 is at ease with life, which responds to life from a place of freedom, from a place of openness. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but, but I can see how that works. So within, within responsibility, uh, and we all have responsibility. We have responsibility to the Vinaya. We have responsibility to the to the lay people. We have responsibility to each other, don't we? Within responsibility, we are forever being challenged uh, because we can't always get what we want and we can't always do what we want. And in that challenge, what arises is some kind of resistance. Huh? We feel fear, we feel anger, we feel greed, we feel whatever. And and when that arises, it's 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 a funny thing because if in that moment it is known as not-self, as a condition, not to be attached to, and we bear with it, we witness to it, we observe it as a mood of the mind, and then it, in its ceasing, we begin to let go of that whole condition process of separation. But, in the same instance, if when that sense of separation and resistance arises, we, 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 we don't have understanding, we take it personally, then we... we we reinvent the wheel. We propel ourselves on the wheel of samsara. We create ourselves in this limited way, in this limited mode. So, so freedom is always this, this possibility within, within the resistance, within the difficulties. And yet this, at the same moment, there's the possibility of, of just restructuring the suffering, restructuring the conditioned habits of our mind. Now, when we, when we have standards to reflect upon, when we have standards of body, speech, and mind, they are not, they are not like uh, ultimatums that we be a certain way, but there are suggestions that this is a way of functioning. This is a way of, of functioning with the body. This is a way of, of the heart, a freedom of the heart. It's a possibility. These are suggestions of the way consciousness works. Now, when we have those standards and we begin to function outside of them, we, we um, like, let's say, with... with um, with the vinaya of, of just using the road, or, or taking care of the bowl, or taking care of one's kuti. If one, if one makes the firm determination to live by the vinaya, then when one isn't taking care of one's robe, or one's kuti, or one's bowl, or whatever, one can awaken to why. Why, why am I stepping outside that standard? Laziness, or, or resistance, or being feeling bullshit, or, or whatever it is. And, and this is what we have to we have to awaken to the roots of delusion. It's not that we're just going to make bhikkhu clones here. It's not that we just want to recondition ourselves to be Buddhists or, 
or monks or, or whatever. That's not the point of it. But it's truly to awaken in a profound way to all the unskillful habits, the unskillful tendencies, which push us into suffering, which push us into uh, unsatisfactory ways of relating to ourselves and the world around us. So how can we awaken? This is the challenge, isn't it? How can I awaken to that which is unskillful and egotistical and no longer attached to it? If I say to myself, I'm never going to feel feelings of fear or doubt or whatever, and I make some kind of a determined statement never to experience all that, then that doesn't work. If I follow it, that doesn't work. But if I awaken to it, no longer believe in it, I don't attach to it, then it will begin to cease. So I realize neurota, I realize cessation, I realize freedom, because the mind is no longer conditioned by those unskillful things. Ron Pochard used the, the idea of letting go a lot, non-attachment. Blai Wang. And, and uh, you know, re- reflecting on how he, he ran the monasteries, um, quite often the, the, the practice was very much just like um, enduring long talks and, and doing a lot of work and, and being in a, in a forced monastery with an abbot one didn't want to be with. So it wasn't like Lompo was trying to set up kind of ideal conditions, but he was, he was a very challenging kind of teacher, I think, in a very, very compassionate way, very compassionate way. Now, well, I don't know about you, but 